Uh, if you would turn to John chapter 21, we're going to look at verses 15 uh, through the rest of the chapter uh, today. Uh, we actually are beginning a study in 1 Peter, uh, but we're going to start in John chapter 21 and uh, look at what's normally called the restoration of Peter. Peter, who denied Christ, uh, is restored here by Jesus, and this is what we're going to uh, look at today as we begin that study. Um, I do want to let you know this week we had a special member of our church die, Nell Campbell. Uh, she was such a gift to our church family, the grandmother of John and Joe Martin, uh, mother of Jim Martin, uh, and just a special saint here at Ashland. She was a former Marine, had tons and tons of accomplishments in her life, tons and tons of influence. Uh, you read her uh, accomplishments, and you think you're reading a book of, uh, that someone wrote about some famous his, uh, historical figure. Uh, she was an amazing lady. But I say that to, to say this. One of the most amazing things she did was plug into this local church. She first started attending here when there wasn't, there was no one her age, I'll put it that way, that was attending uh, just a lot of young folks with songs she probably didn't understand or know, uh, and just said, I'm going to plug in there and love on that church and be a part of that. And she was for eight years, and we were so thankful for her life and legacy. Her funeral's in Grayson, Kentucky. Uh, that's where the Martins are today, so be praying for them. Uh, but just thank the Lord for so many stories like that in this church. Um, I get irritated when people call us the college church. We got a lot of college students, but we got a lot of folks from all kinds of different ages here, and that's the way it's always going to be because we want to be a multi-generational church. We want to experience the gospel at every stage in life, and we need folks from every stage in life showing us how to experience the gospel at every stage in life, and that's who we're going to be. Um, We've baptized folks 85 years old here. Praise God for that. We're so thankful for that. And so um, I'll reserve my passion for the sermon. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. And, and I do want to say, we're going to start mentioning this more often here. Uh, be careful about the way in which you experience the word of God. Uh, many of us have iPads and phones that we're standing with now. I'm preaching from my iPad, so I'm not judging you. Uh, I use a phone from a lot of my scripture reading. But I do want to say as a church, when we come before the Word of God, if using your phone distracts you, bring a Bible to church. Put your phone down. If you're going to feel the temptation to start scrolling through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and you know, making your schedule out for the week, bring a Bible uh, because we want to experience Christ in the pages of Scripture, His authoritative Word. And so we do so at this time, John chapter 21, beginning in verse 18. Hear the words of Christ to us today, saying to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you want it. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Oh God, as we look at this section of scripture, I pray that you would transform us. I pray that we would hear the words of Christ, follow me. And in our failure, in our weakness, we would be empowered to follow We would be empowered to to hear, to listen, to obey, to move after Christ. God, we pray, even as we have just heard song, we would understand your word has a name, and it's Jesus, and he's real, and he's back from the dead, and he has fingernails. And he's seated at your right hand, ruling and reigning in a resurrected body that means everything to us. He is king and he is Lord over death. And you give us his word today to know this name, to know this person, Jesus. God, would we do so today for your glory and honor. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. For 10 years now, my family has gone to the same place for vacation every year at the same time. We really, for most years, we've stayed in the exact same condo uh, on the same beach every year at the same time. And it's something, because I love routine, I love schedules, and I love the same thing over and over and over again, it's really my fault uh, but it, every year, our vacation kind of serves as a parenthesis in our life. Uh, it fits at the end of summer, and so all the things we're going to do as a family, we get done throughout the year, and then at the end of July, uh, before we start another season of life, really another year of life, with school and things that are about to get cranked up, we take this week, and it kind of serves as a break a parenthesis in our life. And uh, we totally unplug. Uh, we, we totally disconnect from everything. And we do nothing for a week, like nothing. We get up and we go sit in sand and look at the ocean and do nothing. We read a little bit. We may watch a movie every now and then. But we do nothing for a week. And it's always refreshing. Let me encourage some of you to do that for your vacations. Some of you are back to uh, going to Wally World and everything's stressed out and crazy and you got plans and you got to get here and you got to get there and you come back from vacation more worn out than you were when you left. Uh, But it's always good for us to just stop and, and to reflect on the last year of life. What did we accomplish? What did we not accomplish? And to plan and look forward and set goals for the next year of life. And for me, I'm so sentimental. You know that about me. You know I'm such a touchy-feely guy, and I get really sentimental. This week really is the, one of the only times in my life that I get really sentimental. It's like I have time to be sentimental, to stop and really think about what's going on with my family and my life and just sort of to reflect. And the culmination of such sentimentality really happens on the last night of vacation. This is when we take pictures. 
and we go to the same spot on the same beach, and we take basically the same pictures every year. There was a big log there this year that sort of threw us off because we were like, do we take pictures on the log when we've never done something like that before? Okay, well, you guys go set on the log. And I just sort of sit back and look at my family every year. We take these pictures, and then, you know, I've got my phone, and I start scrolling through Google photos of the files of beach pictures that we took for the last 10 years, and it happens to me every year. I get caught up in... That, that moment and, and almost sort of weepy on the beach. Carson uh, and I sat there at the ocean and just cried looking at pictures of our family. And you know, I do that kind of stuff all the time. Um, but I get really sentimental. My, my, uh, looking at pictures this year, my boys who were snaggletooth at one time, we started taking those pictures. Now they have facial hair. And just thinking about all that's happened in their life, all that's changed in their life. My little sweet baby, fat cheek girls, now they're grown women standing there in these pictures. And and it just sort of rips my heart out uh, as a dad. And some of you are crying right now, relax. We're going to get beyond that in just a minute. (laughs) But, But I sit there and I think about what have we done What have we done as parents? What have we done as a family? And what are we about to do? And it's a good, restful, good parenthesis in my life every year. And and as we come to John chapter 21, we find Peter in the same exact spot. Even more, he's on a beach. In the same spot, he finds himself in a parenthesis where he is looking back on his life and all that has happened as he has decided to follow Jesus, and yet he's looking forward trying to figure out what is coming, what are we going to do next? And he finds himself almost paralyzed in this parenthesis, looking back and looking forward. And here in John chapter 21, Peter is racked with guilt. He is depressed and he is at the same place and the same spot where he first met Jesus and he is forced to reflect on his life. God has placed him there. This man who was born to be a fisherman, he was born to be in the seafood industry. His dad was a fisherman. And yet there was a day when Jesus walked up to him and said, follow me. And he laid down his nets and he went after Jesus. He followed Jesus. And yet three years later, he was the one leading the charge among the disciples to deny Jesus. He is the logo of denial among the disciples. He was the front runner of the disciples. And yet when the rubber met the road, he was the one saying, yelling, screaming with profanity, I don't know the man. I don't know this Jesus. Follow me. I've never heard those words. I don't know him. And he looks back and he says, how can I go forward? How am I going to move out of this 
parenthesis. How am I going to move off of this beach? What is next? And Jesus comes to him and he has breakfast with him. Notice verse 15. And when they had finished, they had finished fishing. When they had finished all that they were doing work that day, they ate breakfast. And here they end breakfast. Now John mentions breakfast here as a vital point. Breakfast here with Jesus is a sign of resurrection. Why does the gospel writers, after the resurrection, talk about Jesus having meals with people, eating bread, and here breakfast? Because these meals are a sign of resurrection. What Jesus is saying to Peter here is even though you have failed me, you will eat with me in the kingdom. And this resurrection, this picture of resurrection, is a picture of restoration with Jesus. Jesus here isn't a ghost floating around. The disciples didn't have some sort of weird seance and Jesus is floating before them. No, he sets before them eating fish, breadcrumbs probably in his beard. To say, no, I'm back from the dead. This is real flesh and blood. And you will have real flesh and blood. And you will eat with me in the kingdom again. And notice, he zeroes in here on Peter. As the text continues, he says, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now, John is emphasizing Peter's identity here. Uh, Peter was, as we said earlier, born to be a fisherman. His dad was a fisherman. And if, you, if your dad was something, that's what you were to be. And yet Jesus changed all of that. And here Jesus uses his name. He uses his identity to remind him who he is, to remind him who he was, to remind him who he will be. Yes, you are Simon, son of John, but I have called you and given you a better identity. And notice what he asked him here. Do you love me more than these? Now, when we hear that phrase, more than these, we are to remember something Peter said to Jesus. If all of these, if all of these disciples turn from you, I will never turn. I will never betray you. If these people deny you, I won't. And Jesus here says, do you love me more than these? Have you fulfilled this promise, Peter? Uh, You promised that you would die for me. You made these outlandish claims that you would never deny me. And here in Jesus' question, he, he, he he is purging his pride. Hey, Peter, how did that turn out for you? How'd that go for you? That promise, you'd never deny me. But notice Peter doesn't get it. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter's sitting there, why would you have to ask that again? Of course I love you. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. Now, what Peter seems to be doing here is trying to convince himself 
that what has happened really didn't happen. But you know I lo- you know my heart, Jesus. You know in my heart I love you. And he seems to be saying in his own mind here, despite what I did, you know I love you. And, and there's a warning for all of us here that in our minds we can convince ourselves that, that we are different than what we've done. I know what I've done, but I'm a good person. I know the actions that I have taken, but I really want to do the right thing. And the truth of the Bible is that our hearts deceive us in that way. They tell us, despite what you do, despite what you do, you really want the right thing. But here at the end of the day, we do what we want to do, right? You do what you want to do. And what you want to do is serve yourself just like Peter. Peter wanted to serve himself, so he denied Jesus. And it was fleshed out in his actions, and yet he's trying to push that away. Notice verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And notice what happens here. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He gets it. He realizes what Jesus is so graciously and gently doing with these questions. Jesus is purging Peter of his stubborn pride. Jesus is revealing to Peter the deceit that he has in himself, of himself, and his actions. And he is grieved. This isn't Peter just going, oh man, Jesus doesn't believe me. Gosh. No, he goes, oh, I get it. I get it the third time. I get it. I remember. I understand why you've asked me three times. He's remembering his failure here. These questions, this scene with Jesus, is a reliving of Peter's failure. And it is a a restoration from failure. Uh, Peter said, I will be with you to the end, Jesus And yet they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and as Jesus is praying three times, what is Peter doing? He's sleeping. I will never deny you. Slave girl walks up to Peter. Don't you know the Galilean? I never knew him. The Nazarene? I never knew him. No, I can tell by your accent you've walked with Jesus. No, that's not me. Three times. And here, three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? But notice also three times. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Tend to my sheep. Jesus not only is uncovering his sin three times, he is reassuring Peter here of his love for Peter despite his failure. This whole scene isn't just making Peter feel bad. Jesus isn't just humiliating Peter for, just for fun. Hey, how'd that turn out for you? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Remember what you did to me? No. The point of the interaction is for Jesus to reassure Peter of his love despite his denial three times. Because three times he comes back with 
feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. This whole scene is a statement of unconditional love. What Jesus is saying to Peter here is my promises are still true for you. Despite your denial, my plan for you has not changed despite your sin. And here we have a picture of infinite kindness from Jesus. Infinite, unconditional love from Jesus for Peter. They're not just hugging it out. Hey, bygones are bygones. Let's forget it and move on. No, he is coming to Peter and saying, no, my promise for you is still true. Remember when Peter said, you are the Christ? Jesus turned to him and he said, upon this rock I will build my church. To Peter. That was a promise that's still true here. Acts chapter 2, Peter is the one preaching at Pentecost. Jesus fulfilled his promise despite Peter's sin, despite Peter's failure. Here, the purpose of this interaction is for Jesus to reassure Peter of his love. Uh, Jesus had told Peter, there will come a time where you will turn and yet you will turn back to me. And when you have turned, I want you to go strengthen the brothers. He told Peter, the shepherd will be hit and bruised and the sheep will scatter. And Peter, you will be the one who marches out into the wilderness and gathers the sheep back to myself. And here he is telling Peter, that promise is still true. It's still true. Despite your lack of love, despite your sin, my promises for you are still true. This interaction is not about Peter's love or lack of love. Peter got lost in his love and made his love the issue. And Jesus just keeps coming back. No, your love's not the issue. It's my love. You don't love me the way you think you do. He's not judging him. He's not shunning him. Here in these questions, Jesus is kindly and gently tearing down his pride so he can hear him say, I still love you. Because just like Peter, what we do is we make our love the issue. And when you make your love the issue, you can't hear the love of God in Christ for you. Of course I love you, Jesus. I'm at church every Sunday. Of course I love you. Of course I love you. Look at all the things that I've done for you. I've served you my whole life. I, I was in Sunday school. I was in Mission Friends. I was in Awana. I went to youth group every Wednesday night. When I got to college, I was in every campus ministry possible. I was serving pancakes at the BCM at 1 o'clock last night. I love you, Jesus. Why would you have to ask if I love you? Why would you have to ask? Look at all that I do for you. And when you make your love the foundation of God's love for you, you're missing God's love for you. Because the love of God for you is maximized when you understand, I don't love you like I should. All of these things that I do are little glimmers and reflections that, that, that never compare to your love for me. And, and some of you are here today and you don't have that resume. You don't come in here like some Christian Jedi at the top of the totem pole. You're like, I, 
I shouldn't even be here today. You, you guys don't know what I did last night. You, you, you don't know my past. You, you don't know what I did in college, in high school. You don't know those seasons of life in my mind that rack me with guilt. And you're sitting here today and you too are making your love the issue. It's your lack of love. And yet Jesus thunders in three times here, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. I love you, I love you. This isn't Jesus' uh, Jesus's, I told you so to Peter. This is Jesus's, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. And, and, and so the solution for us here today is to admit our lack of love. I haven't loved you the way that I should, and I never will. I'm marred and broken with sin. And yet, even in that moment, to delight in his love for us. Compare all of the things on your resume to the cross today. Look how much I love you. And Jesus comes back and says, yeah, but look how much I love you. Just come and delight in the cross. Delight in the cross today. And that is the only way you'll be able to love others and God is if you start at the cross. This is Jesus saying, I love you no matter what, Peter. But notice, as we continue verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. Now, he points to Peter's youth, not in necessarily age here, but spiritual maturity, we might say. He says, Peter, we have gotten to a turning point in your spiritual growth because you used to think you had all the answers. Think about Peter walking with Jesus. Who do men say that I am? Me, 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 me. I got the answer. Everybody else, shut up. You are the Christ, son of the living God. I got it, Jesus. I know who you are. And what does Jesus turn to him and say? Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And yet Peter all the time thinks he's the one with the answers. He thinks it's his flesh and blood that is coming up with all of these answers and all of these truths. And Jesus says, when you were young, you used to think you had it all together. You were the rebellious teenager that didn't want the Father talking to you. I got it, I got it, I got it. Okay. And now Jesus says, it's time for you to grow up. And, and you are realizing you don't have all the answers. You don't have all the love. And so he says, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. You've been going to all these places that you wanted to go. You think you had all the answers. You're running your mouth. Now I have brought to you a point of meekness and humility, and you're going to close your mouth, and then I'm going to take you by the hand and take you to a place you don't want to go. Peter, it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to mature. And notice here, Peter's growth and maturity means he becomes quieter. More quiet. <laughs> means he shuts his mouth. He doesn't tell Jesus where we're going. He listens to where Jesus wants to go. Now, verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. History tells us Peter was crucified upside down because he did not want to be crucified right side up because he didn't deserve the same honor as Jesus. And, and Jesus says, you're going to go to a place you don't want to go. 
but you've got to get humble, you've got to get meek, you've got to become weak, you've got to understand your frailty, you've got to grow up so you can follow me. The thing about Peter's life, all the youthful rebellion, when when Jesus goes to wash his feet, Peter, this is what I'm going to do for you. What does Peter do? You will never wash my feet. No. What does Jesus end up doing? Washing his feet. What does he say to Jesus? Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die and three days later I'm going to be raised. What does Peter say? You will never die. What does Jesus do? He ends up dying. I will never deny you. What does he end up doing? He denies it. I love you. No, you really don't. And now he's got him to a point of maturity where he can actually listen to him. And he has said, quit running your mouth and listen to me. Because I'm going to take you to another place you don't want to go. And maybe you go kicking and screaming. Even in the book of Acts, remember, the sheep comes down to Peter and there's the invitation to eat with the Gentiles. What does Peter say? I will never eat with the Gentiles. How many times did the sheep come down? Three times. Oh, I get it. Okay, again. Over and over and over, Peter is telling Jesus what he's going to do, and Jesus over and over is saying, no, you're not. Over and over, Peter is telling Jesus, I'm not going to do that, and Jesus is saying, yes, you are. He says, okay, maybe we're at a point now where you'll actually listen to me. Even Peter being here by the sea fishing is a sign of his humiliation. Think about this. Peter hasn't gotten any further than when he first met Jesus. You're back out here fishing. All right? Let's start over. Let's start over. Maybe I've humiliated you to the point where you can hear me. You're not calling the shots. You're not running the show. You're weak and you're humiliated. And notice he says to him, follow me. He has made him weak enough to follow. You get that? You see, we come in here today and we think strength is being loud. I gotta voice my opinion, and everybody's gotta know I'm right. I've gotta be loud like Peter. I've got the answers. It's me, it's me, it's me. Because meekness and humility feels weak, right? And yet Jesus is saying, I've got you to a point of weakness and meekness, so you can actually hear. You can actually hear my words beyond your words, and you can follow me. We think serving others is weakness, sacrificing for others, putting my preference aside. It just feels weak. We are just like Peter. And yet strength before God is serving others, setting my preferences aside. And even in humility and meekness, making others those who are on the platform, those who must be served. And he's He says, Peter, I finally got you to that point. Now, the reason many of us here today are just racked with anxiety and worry is because we are in that endless cycle of trying to be strong. You're trying to be strong. You're trying to make sure your opinion is the right opinion all the time and the only opinion being heard. You're trying to be strong in your own righteousness, your own works, and you're trying to be strong in your own image. 
Others have got to see me as the one who has it together. I have all the answers. I have all of the strength. And you're here today and you are absolutely worn out. You're worn out because that strength is a facade. And here what Jesus has had to do with Peter is break him down and make him weak enough to follow. Weak enough to be rejected. Weak enough to suffer. Weak enough to show mercy. Weak enough to listen to his words, follow me. Listen, here's the truth. We often think in times of failure and weakness, God can't be anywhere near me. And yet it is in those moments that God is closest to you. He is breaking you down so that you might hear him and be weak enough to follow But notice verse 20, Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, the one who also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it who is going to betray you? Now, who's he talking about? This is John talking about himself. Yes, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. I am the disciple that sat closest to Jesus. I am the one who asked, who's going to betray you? I am the disciple Jesus loved. Now, we can rest assured that Peter found John very annoying. (laughs) Can you imagine how that relationship went? Yes, John, we know you're the disciple Jesus loves. Yes, John, we know you were there when we all ran away and Jesus was crucified. John is annoying to Peter. Why? Because John wasn't a failure like Peter. But notice who he is concerned about here. Jesus is still speaking to him, follow me. And now what is Peter's first reaction? Okay, okay, I got you, I got you, I got you, Jesus. Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. Now what about John? What's going to happen to him? He's the one that asked who's going to betray you. I bet he's going to betray you. That's how you do things, Jesus. You always have a twist. We don't know what direction you're going. I bet it's John, isn't it? Notice where his focus here. All of a sudden, it's on John. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? Follow me. Quit caring about everybody else and what they're going to do and what their future is going to be like. He could have turned to Peter and said, you know what? It's going to end really bad for John. He's going to be exiled to an island. He's going to write a really crazy book and it's going to be full of all kinds of weird dreams. He's He's going to end in a nightmare. No, he doesn't. He says, who cares, Peter? I'm talking to you. It's the same thing we do on a Sunday morning when we're here. and we're, Right now, some of you are going, I wish so-and-so was here. I wish they were here today. They needed this sermon. No, the Word of God is speaking. You're laughing. The Word of God is speaking to you, to me. And notice the words, follow me. Those are precious words for the disciples of Christ. For those, follow me. Those words should be refreshing to you. What Jesus is saying is, come be with me. Come walk with me. Come know me. Come do what I do. And what has Jesus done? He has gone to the cross. And what has he called Peter to do? Take up your cross and follow me. 
And he's telling Peter, stop looking back, stop looking forward, stop looking around, and follow me. Verse 23, notice John. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple, referring to himself, was not to die. And yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it was my will if that he remain until I come, what is it to you? Now, I just, I, I read that and go, John's a really weird dude. Like, he is OCD about the details. Like, I just got to get this straight. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus did not say that I would never die. That's not what he said. And so he's got to get that in here. Notice the text continues. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about the things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, he is focused on this. I want to make sure that my testimony is true because verse 25 now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Again, do you, do you see just sort of the rigorous, I got to cover all of my bases here. I got to get it right. If, if all of the many other things that Jesus did were written, every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. It's a fitting ending for John. He's got to get all the facts right. And John is the one who began in John chapter 1 talking about the word that was made flesh, meaning the stories and promises of God took on flesh and came to us. And everything that God has ever said has been proven true in Jesus. The word took on flesh and in the word made flesh, the kingdom was at hand. It's true. In the Word made flesh, you can have your sins forgiven because He died on the cross for you. It's true. In the Word made flesh, you can be raised from the dead because Jesus was raised from the dead. He has proven everything that God has said is true in His flesh. He has given us plenty here of signs that point to His glory and the truth of His Word. This is true. And notice the context that the truth of God's Word comes in. Follow me. That, that is the word that John is wanting to get through to us here at the end of the book. I want you to hear the words of the risen Christ. Follow me. God's word has taken on flesh, died for you, been raised from the dead, is seated at the right hand for you. God's word has a name and it is Jesus and he stands before you and says, follow me. Why would you follow any other word? Follow the words of Christ. Follow the word of God in Christ. Follow the word made flesh whose name is Jesus. He is screaming to us. It is true. It is true. It is true. I could fill the world with stories about the truth of this word. There is no other word that matters than the word of God made flesh in Jesus. And he comes to you personally. This is glorious. This is gracious. This is, this is God's mercy to you that he would stand in front of you in flesh with his word and say, now come follow me, follow me, follow me. But you know what some of us are doing? We're in a parenthesis and we're looking back and we're saying, I can't obey that word because of my past. You don't know what I've done. And yet some of us are looking forward and going, I can't obey that word because I don't know what's going to happen. I got to be in control. 
and we're looking back and we're looking forward, and Jesus says, you're not listening. You're not listening. Just follow me. That is the word that comes to you. Follow me. And the point here with Peter is that you are a failure. You have sinned. Don't try to push that away today. Meet that head on. The degree that you see your failure and your sin is the degree that you hear the word, follow me. And you are weak. Quit trying to be strong. You're not hearing follow me because you are concerned about being strong in your words, in your action. Be weak enough to follow. And if you can't hear, there's a place that you can always go back to. Same sights, same smells, same scene over and over again. And that place is Golgotha where your weakness was put on display, where you were dressed in purple, where you had spikes driven through your hand, where you were mocked as a fake king on a cross. You think you're strong, go to Golgotha. You want to deny your failure? Go to Calvary. On the cross, Jesus has said to you, this is how much your sin cost. This is how much it cost. The price of my infinite son's blood. You want to deny your sin? You want to push your failure away? The cross screams. You've been out it. Your sin has been put on blast. You can't hide from it. But this is where we go and this is where we start so we can begin to hear the words of Christ. Follow me. Quit looking to your past and look to the cross. Here's the promise. The worst thing... The worst thing that has ever happened to you is not something that you did. It's something that's been done for you. At Calvary, at Golgotha, on the cross. You were crucified. You endured the wrath of God in Christ. The worst thing that could ever happen to you happened to you there. And the worst thing that will ever happen to you has already happened to you. Why are you worried? Why are you freaked out? You've already been crucified. In Jesus, you're already back from the dead. What are you worried about in your future? Quit looking back. Quit looking forward and listen. Listen to that Galilean accent that says, no, just come. Follow me. Trust me. Follow me. Quit looking around and listen.